the discussion about how to achieve work-life balance in academia is one that is often not prioritized. The risk for academic burnout is very real, yet so many of us in academia do struggle with how to manage the publish or perish environment, let alone how to have this conversation. In this podcast series on work-life balance in academia, we will be addressing some of the questions that academics have about this issue, but maybe don't know where to turn for answers. In this podcast, we will be focusing specifically on identifying and managing stress and anxiety. Uh, I am Dr. Alicia Morrison. I'm a licensed clinical health psychologist and assistant professor of psychology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and I am just thrilled to be talking with Jay Allard today. Jay is an author and expert on behaviors that cause imbalance, disengagement, and distraction. After years in senior communication roles, crafting content for executives, Jay collapsed from stress-related adrenal fatigue. This life-altering experience propelled her to research human behavior, neuroscience, mindfulness, and organizational relationship systems. In 2008, Jay founded Simple Intentions and developed the Mindful Life Program to generate intentional conversations to disrupt patterns and create awareness, accountability, and action at team and individual levels. Jay has taught the skill of awareness in more than 50 countries to thousands of employees at multinational corporations such as Microsoft, Amazon, and Expedia. Jay is a columnist on workplace awareness for Mindful Magazine, as well as the author of seven books on the topic. She contributes to the Healthy Living section of Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Simple Intentions blog. So Jay, incredibly impressive bio, and thank you so much for joining us today in our discussion on stress and anxiety. Yes, thank you for having me as part of this discussion. So first question I have for you is, how do you help people to understand the difference between stress and anxiety? Okay, before I answer this question, I just yeah. want to be really clear that my intent is not to stress anyone out by having this conversation. Because sometimes when we talk about stress, it can be a little stressful talking about it because it will bring up the stress that you're feeling. So that said, it's really important to talk about the issues and the impacts that our stress behaviors have in our everyday life and, and how that right, impacts our desires for balance, whatever balance may be for us. So when I look at the difference between stress and anxiety, I take a slightly different view than perhaps like a medical professional where I look at stress as the larger ecosystem of the negative impacts that are happening in our life and how they're showing up for us, where anxiety is one subset of them. And when I look at anxiety, in my experience talking to people around the world, employees who are who are dealing with this every day, I find most people who are feeling anxiety tend to either be living in the past um, replaying events that have already happened or living in the future, trying to anticipate how a situation may play out, which causes a little bit more of the anxiety versus the stress, which is um, a deeper combination of lots of things where anxiety seems to be more of a subset based upon how I enter into this conversation with folks. And how do you talk with people about the impact of stress on the body and the brain, both short-term and long-term? Yeah, so this is um, one of my favorite conversations to have, but it's also one of the most complicated conversations to have because most of us um, experience, all of us, we're humans. We experience stress. Our bodies are biologically designed to experience stress. And 
the purpose of stress is to keep us alive, as, as many of you all know, right? We want the ability to have stress symptoms because it's what tells us something's wrong in our environment and we may be facing a threat to our being. And so the impact of that shows up in, in physiologic ways that are very real, right? Our heart starts beating, maybe our, our um, palms get sweaty, we, we have the ability to run away faster from what that threat is, we get tunnel vision, we get tunnel hearing, and all of this is happening with a chemical reaction in our bodies, right? We have increased cortisol, we have the adrenaline that's making us get away from whatever this perceived threat is. And the, the impact of that um, in the short term is, you know, we're, we're alive. We got away from the danger and, and stress did its purpose. It kept us safe. So that's exactly what we want to have happen. But when we start looking at the long-term impact, when we have, when our body feels that there's a perceived threat, that perceived threat doesn't go away. Let's say it's a meeting or a deadline or a difficult person and we're feeling the same impact that we would if, let's say, that was like a wild animal. Over time, when our body stays in these elevated stress states with too much of these stress hormones in our body, it can really begin to cause a lot of damage um, on our systems and our way of thinking, our energy, our body's ability to fly off cold because the body's going to start prioritizing what's more important for the system to focus on. And so the impact can be as simple as I'm a little grouchy or I'm a little tired to as severe as um, things like maybe a severe anxiety disorder because that, that stress is not getting released. The, what the, the research says is we need somewhere between 40 and 60 to 90 minutes when we experience stress for that stress experience to go away in our body. And then if we don't, we have the symptoms that I just talked about. We have these long-term impacts. Um, that can really impair how we show up at work and how we show up in our lives. About some really, um, really important physiological things that happen in the body in response to stress. How do you help people to identify their own personal, physical, mental, and emotional signs of stress? Yeah. So this is um, the this is where I find most people need to have this type of conversation is beginning to anticipate what our stress triggers are, what our stress symptoms are, or what I say our stress tells are. Like, you know, in poker, everybody has a tell. We all have our stress tell. And the the easiest way to begin to identify these things is through the skill of awareness. And it sounds overly simple, but it's incredibly powerful. When we can begin to create awareness with our relationship with our body and begin to see how people, places, and events begin to make us feel, we can then have a little bit more data to understand what it is that stresses us out and how that shows up in our body. Um, For example, we might have uh, a physical manifestation of stress where our muscles might start getting tight or we might get stomach aches or headaches. And that's our body's way of saying, hey, slow down and pay attention. Something's out of balance in the system. Slow down, pay attention. Or mentally, we might get kind of like a brain fog because our body's you know, busy looking for a threat so we don't have a higher cognitive functioning completely available. So if we are going through multiple days with a, with a brain fog, then we have some data there that says, hey, wait a minute, let me slow down and examine what's happening and maybe recharge a little bit because there's a tell there, there's a, there's a symptom there. 
or it might be an emotional sign where um, people tend to get grouchy or irritable or um, lack of focus, again, kind of the back to the brain fog thing. So we all have our own tells. But most of us haven't had the opportunity to sit down and intentionally really think about how do I act when I'm under stress? What does that look like for me? It could be as simple as I start craving a certain food. Um, I personally really do. If I'm under stress, the first thing, my first tell is I start wanting to eat potato chips. So when I start craving potato chips, that's how I know, wait a minute, I need to slow down and look at my life. There's a, there's a trigger there. And so just by simply reflecting on the, the question, what does stress look like for you and your body? Become familiar with, where do I hold it? Is it my neck? Is it my shoulders? Is it my hip? Is it my stomach? So you just have that data. So you have the awareness to anticipate if you're going through a period of stress because most of us, unfortunately, don't realize it until it's too late, until we're on the other side of it. Absolutely. I really love what you're saying about this idea of awareness. I don't think it's something that is necessarily inherent to uh, progressing through academia, having that understanding of awareness, not just of our work, but also of our bodies and our minds and, and the impact that stress has on that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you talked about the publish our Paris mentality, which is which is certainly, you know, a very real scenario that happens. And being able to function in that environment, being able to thrive in that environment, having the skill of awareness can really be really be helpful and intentionality to why you're choosing the path that you're choosing and if it's supporting or sabotaging you. And that sabotage shows up a lot of times right as stress in the body. Absolutely, yes. And the other thing I want to add to that is, you know, when there's such a, a level of kind of what I just call modern-day busy and things are seeming so urgent in our everyday, it's difficult sometimes to pause and, and have this reflection time to create awareness and say, how is my body feeling today? What is really happening? What is showing up for me today? Because it almost feels like a luxury in many cases for us to cultivate that, that awareness point. Um, you're going to have to do it sooner or later. So if you do it before the stress occurs, it's a lot easier than doing it after you're already so stressed out or you're in these periods of profound like anxiety to the difference between like proactive stress management versus reactive stress management. And I feel like many of us, myself included, were only taught how to reactively manage stress. Yes. So once I reached my breaking point, I could take care of myself after I broke as opposed to more intentionally making choices that proactively reduce the amount of stress I was experiencing at the time. It's the difference between recharging yourself, like, you know, plugging yourself in at night to recharge versus having to do a whole system reboot. Mm-hmm. And because we don't have these kind of skills of awareness or this, the, the familiarity with our own stress triggers, we're a little less able to be proactive about it, and most of us end up reactively managing stress once our bodies you know, reached a compromised state or our brains reached a compromised state. That is so true. And you were, you talked about um, the, what happens in the body in response to, you know, some sort of anxiety-provoking stimulus. And you, you made that connection between the body's response to stress, anxiety, and survival. Uh, mm-hmm. so 
So my next question is actually about how can anxiety be helpful to us in the workplace and then how to tell the difference between that anxiety that is adaptive or helpful uh, versus maladaptive. Yeah, so um, the word anxiety, so for me when I think about the word anxiety, I think about we're dealing with something that's either in the past or something that's in the future. So we're dealing in an abstract um, that's not really there. So I want to, with your permission, use the word maybe uncertain. We're feeling uncertain or we're feeling at risk. Because those are very real feelings that we have at workplace or even fear. And so when we're feeling these these less than pleasant feelings that can create a stress response in the body, it can be positive when they're short-term in that they force us to be a little bit more creative, to maybe think about a problem in a different way and, and look for new ideas to old problems. So sometimes being placed in, in situations where we're out of our norm, where we're out of our comfort zone can be incredibly creative, and that's why... Um, a, a, a scientist with deep experience in stress, I think, would say that stress can be both negative and positive in the body. It can serve to either keep us alive or, or be creative, but over time, it it's not meant to be sustainable, and that's when it becomes a, a negative experience. And so when when we think about where this is helpful at work, sometimes we need that little boost of stress to, to hit a deadline to do that, like, you know, the, the final push on a project or to be placed in a scenario that's slightly out of our comfort zone to allow us to reach a different depth of thinking inside of us or, or, or new, a new way to interface with maybe people or a situation. And so knowing only you, only each individual can know for themselves what the difference is between that limit of I'm being forced to do something different, I'm being forced out of my comfort zone, I'm being invited into a new space versus this feels unsafe and my body is going to shut down. Which brings us back again to that skill of awareness. Absolutely. And Everyone listening to this, you are all very wise people who are deeply in touch with your body if you're willing to listen to it. And we all know the moment of I'm being pushed out of my comfort zone, my palms are a little sweaty, I'm a little anxious, I don't know if I can do this, versus this does not feel good and this needs to stop. Yes. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us keep pushing through this does not feel good and this needs to stop until we have no choice but to completely stop like what happened with my scenario. <laughs> right, right. So what are some uh, proactive strategies that we can implement in order to change our relationship with stress in an academic or professional setting? Yeah, when it comes to different strategies for dealing with stress, there there are, you know, there's a multitude of of options available. There's so many books on the market and so many experts talking about stress management and I like to bring a slightly different perspective and really focus on these proactive strategies that are all free and they're all things that you can begin to do immediately and it comes back to having um, awareness and making choices. And the first thing that I tell audiences when I work with them that you can proactively manage stress is by giving up control. And this is where a lot of people either laughed or like, was like, no way, that's not going to happen because we are taught that control is actually a really good professional skill and we're going to be in charge and we're going to, we're going to <laughs> make this happen. Right. And really, unfortunately, we don't really control anything. 
<laughs> the only thing we control <laughs> is our response to what's happening around us and how we're going to react or, or respond, right? What we're going to say or how we feel and what we choose to do with that. And there's a difference between controlling a situation, manipulating a situation, or influencing a situation and, and gracefully expressing yourself in that situation. And so noticing when we're forcing and trying to control is one of my favorite strategies to teach people. If it feels difficult and feels like you're pushing, odds are you are, and there's a place where you can kind of let go or allow a little bit and check in with how you're responding or how you're reacting in the situation and really focus on owning that part of it instead of owning someone else's part of it. Right. And again, these are, this is proactive. This is a daily practice that you can do is begin to see where am I controlling? Where am I controlling? How can I let go a little bit? And what people find over time when they start working with this idea of control is that the more they give up control, in fact, the more influence and the more you know success they find in what they are trying to create because it moves into a space of collaboration instead of competition. Right. Um, And another one of my favorite strategies is around communication and what I just call, you know, being your word. And most of us like to think we are our word every day and everything that comes out of our mouths. (laughs) And we are, in many ways, people of integrity. And then what happens sometimes is we're not our word not because we're not being authentic, but because we want to avoid hurting someone else's feelings. So we don't actually say fully what we mean, or we say yes to doing things we have no intention of doing, (laughs) just to avoid hurting someone's feelings. Yeah, exactly. Huge source of stress, because now we've just created like five conversations we have to go back and undo or have again, all because we were we were too scared or we didn't want to hurt someone's feeling and say no the first time or say that's not going to be possible. Or sometimes, again, when we're talking about our careers, we don't want to disappoint other people because we're worried about how this is going to reflect on our career and what it's going to mean for our advancement. Mm-hmm. But what ends up happening is we end up creating a lot of stress and a lot of false expectations on ourselves and the people we work with and for when we're not fully owning our word. And so over time, when we can begin to create awareness for when we say things that we're actually not going to do, and then just over time, begin to do that less. And, you know, make it a game and know that everybody's intense positive. Nobody's trying to purposely, you know, create stress on each other in the system. But it is one area, it's one strategy that we can really begin to implement that will proactively reduce the level of stress in your day, even today, right now, by the end of the day, if you begin to see what you might have just agreed to do that you know you're not going to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I really I, love that you're you're talking about strategies that can be implemented immediately. They're immediate. They're free. They don't require any tangible things, just some time and some intentionality. That's right. And, and you know, I believe this, this, it's, it, this is incredibly complicated, but that doesn't mean that it's not possible. And if we just pick one strategy 
and work on that each day and notice it and stay out of that that judgment place in our head. You know, once you notice, for example, that you're saying things that you know you're not going to be able to do, don't make it even more stressful on yourself and beat yourself up about it. Just notice it and try not to do it anymore. That's it. You know, like don't add additional stress. And so sometimes the, the conversations we have in our own head stresses out even more than the conversation someone else would be having with us. And so notice if we're having those, that negative dialogue that might actually be making some of this even worse. Um, there's one more strategy that I really want to share to you because I've seen um, it really begin to reduce a lot of stress with people when they implement the strategy. And this is taking the stance of assuming positive intent. So especially in the workplace, we come to work and sometimes people do things and they um, and it comes across as like it's sabotaging us or hurting us or being maybe manipulative or negative and really coming back to that place of positive intent. People don't get up every day purposely to try to sabotage or hurt each other or create stress for each other. For the most part, humans get up every day to do the best they can do in the world. But it doesn't always come out that way. And when you're in a contention situation, that's a stressful situation in the workplace, taking a step back and realizing nobody's purposely trying to hurt each other here and moving into the scenario and the conversation from that place can just immediately begin to reduce the level of contention or that, that, that blocked energy that's felt in the room, which can be really stressful. So just remembering people show up every day at work to, to do good things. Might not always come across that way, but they really do. <laughs> um, and this ties to um, having the conversations around what is working. So I work with so many corporations around the world and so many teams who start every team meeting around what is not working. Here's what's wrong today. Here's what's wrong today. And and that can begin to start creating a lot of anxiety going back to our, our, top, our conversation at the start of this call and uh, can even flirt on this idea of learned helplessness where all we're focused on is what's not working, what's not working. When we start the conversation with what is working and not everybody showed up with positive intent, it can really begin to change the environment um, of the workplace and minimize some stress a little in, in our day-to-day interactions with each other. Absolutely. So to summarize, uh, giving up control. Yes, in your giving words, up control. Communication. Mm-hmm. And then assuming positive intent. Yep. If those three things you can practice one time a day, um, I really believe you'll begin to see a change in your relationship with stress. And it doesn't happen overnight. And these are life skills that we're looking to to rebuild, to build at this stage of life. And so be patient with yourself. Have the skill of awareness. Learn where you can give up some control. Learn where you can be your word a little bit more. Learn where you're maybe you can start with positive intent. And just know that every day you have a choice to be in a healthy relationship with stress, to either manage your stress or to be managed by your stress. And it starts with a choice. Yeah, that's so true because I think sometimes what fuels the fire of burnout is this idea of of being helpless, being powerless, not having choice in the Mm -hmm. academic environment. So, yes, I'm right there with you. 
Yeah, we get caught in these habitual patterns because that's the way it's always been or that's the way we see other people doing it. And we have such a high volume of things that we want to accomplish and do. And and a lot of people in this industry, right, you're so passionate. There's a lot of passion. And so people are, are engaged and happy and excited, but that can also, you know, over time create some negative habits in how that excitement is brought brought into the workplace or communicated or executed upon. So taking that step back to see what patterns are helping us and what patterns are, you know, sabotaging us. <laughs> right. And having the courage to interrupt the patterns. And that's yeah. that's what I try to help, um, you know, teams and individuals do is create awareness around what choice I can make today that's going to support me. And I like what you were saying about how this can start today, and it does take practice. And there's that mm-hmm. self-passion piece of, okay, I practice it. It may not be perfect the first time, but with practice, it's a skill that you can develop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people ask me often, um, because because I got into this work, this line of work, because I, I literally collapsed from, you know, too much stress and my... Um, body needed quite a bit of time to recover and so people like to say oh does that mean you don't you don't get stressed anymore because you 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 write about this and you talk about this teach about this but like no of course not it just means i know how to manage it now it doesn't manage me it means i see it coming i notice when i'm eating those potato chips or i notice when maybe my brain's not as sharp as it needs to be because maybe i'm not sleeping because i'm anxious about something about work so i have the skills now to move through these scenarios in a different way. That's it. It is your lifelong skills. And just when you know it, it's all about the practice. That's right. So, Jay, are there any other comments, any other things that you want to make related to this topic? You know, I think my last um, point on being in a healthy relationship with how you're owning your stress is just be yourself. A lot of times... In the workplace, I see people create a lot of um, stress for themselves by trying to be someone other than they're not, by um, kind of withholding thoughts, withholding maybe ideas they want to contribute to the team or are trying something new because they're scared of how it might be perceived or come across. And that sometimes ends up creating even more stress. And when people can more fully express themselves in the workplace, I do find that those people tend to be a lot more balanced and have less stress in their life because they feel like they're moving through their work with an authentic, more authentic expression of themselves. So my final point is, you know, be you, be you. I like it. I like it. Simple message, but so powerful. So powerful. Simple and to the point. Yes. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Jay, for taking the time to participate in the podcast today. Uh, You've really given us some really excellent, proactive, and effective tips for managing stress and anxiety in the academic environment uh, in order to take better care of ourselves and also be more effective in our work, frankly. A very special thank you also goes out to Chelsea Elkins, who helped to coordinate Jay's participation, as well as the personnel at ATS and the RSF, the Respiratory and Structure Function Assembly, who helped to finalize details of this podcast. Jay, we look forward to speaking with you again for the next podcast in this series on 
work-life work life balance in academia. And everyone out there, thank you so much for listening, and please stay tuned. <laughs>